From Empathy Insider, I'm Arunjay Katakam, and this is Empathy Insider News. Welcome to episode two. We're coming to you from London and Barcelona, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Jenny Friedrich. How are you, Jenny? Hi, Arunjay. I'm doing great. Thank you today here in sunny Barcelona. Great. Well, welcome to the show. Let's get started. So the big buzz is Facebook's announcing Libra, their crypto coin. They made a lot of noise about targeting the 1.7 billion unbanked around the world with a fee-free transaction or nearly free international remittance. But their press release and statements so far show that they have very little understanding of the unbanked. Facebook is throwing everything at this new cryptocurrency, Libra. And while stability and security are big issues facing cryptocurrencies and Facebook thinks they have nailed this, you will still need to bolt it to a bank account, which means you know the money has to come in and out in some shape, form, or fashion. And this is where the crux of the whole thing is going to lie because in mobile money, we have agents to cash in and cash out as well as transfer from bank accounts. And you're going to find that Libra is going to be fairly stable. It's, it's not pegged completely to a currency, which means there will be some fluctuation just because currencies typically move. And this means that if you're transacting domestically, you now have an FX angle to it. So that's going to be a real challenge for Facebook to nail with in, insofar as the customer experience is concerned. Also, quite interestingly, Visa and MasterCard are founding members. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this whole thing plays out. Absolutely. And something that I saw as well recently was the, they put out a white paper and that states that kind of Facebook is actually not going to take direct control of the coin, uh, but is actually going to share the control of the coin with other members of the Libra Association. So we'll have to see, you know, how, how that plays out. The thing is, there's no doubt, of course, Facebook has a huge addressable market with 1.5 billion active users. Um, but, you know, what, what problem are they really solving and for which customers? Yeah, you nailed it there, Jenny, because that's, for me, the crux of it. You know, most people go about solving a problem and for a particular target market customers, they've gone, you know, taken a really big approach. So for now, it's a lot of hype and PR. The proof, of course, will be in the pudding. Facebook, they couldn't do photos, so they had to buy Instagram. They couldn't really do messaging either, so they bought WhatsApp. And if they don't succeed, they can always buy someone who's starting to gain traction. So they, they do have a lot of options with, with the kind of money accessible to them. You know, this is to launch in 2020 sometime. So we still have plenty of time before we actually start to see some results. But at the moment, yeah, it's, it's completely capturing uh, all the airwaves. Moving on to the next piece of news for this week, we're going to talk about the U.S. administration's ban on U.S. firms working with Huawei and how that might impact Huawei's business in Africa. Um, so many of you will be aware of the fact that the U.S. administration banned U.S. firms from working with Huawei on security grounds last month and placed the company on a list of suspicious companies that American entities weren't allowed to sell tech equipment to. That led to Google's decision to withhold its Android software from Huawei and a bunch of other decisions by U.S. firms to stop working with, with the Chinese brand. You know, the thing is, for Africa, is that Huawei has built huge swathes of Africa's ICT infrastructure, 
and has also shipped large amounts of handsets over there. So, you know, what is this really going to mean for Huawei's future on the continent? Yeah, I think really the not being able to access Android is is going to impact Huawei as well as Africa shipment because they need to find an alternate OS or you know that that's that's the tricky part because they can continue otherwise serving the African market but this is where it gets connected and as a result Huawei have also decreased their revenue forecast from 120 billion to just under 100 billion so that's very significant question now is what moves will we see from the Chinese administration to ensure they stay on top yeah, so actually a couple of weeks ago, um, we saw that Huawei had signed an MOU with the African Union to try and strengthen its cooperation across Africa uh, with governments across Africa. So I guess what we really need to do is just watch this space to see how Huawei move and continue to work across the continent. Last week, the DFS Lab launched their inaugural female-focused fintech prize, F3 for short. Prize is aimed at recognizing the most innovative digital financial products that narrow the gender gap in financial inclusion. Yeah, so the three finalists were, one was Pazesha, which is a digital financial marketplace empowering the underserved in Africa. So what does that really mean? So they are connecting low-income, um, small and medium-sized entrepreneurs with consumers, most of which are women, um, and offering them services like financial education, credit scores, and more. So the second finalist was um, called Mama Prime. They're actually a fintech company which enables mothers to prepay um, in fixed installments for their prenatal delivery and postnatal care. And also actually offers access to emergency loans specific for delivery. And the third finalist was Kaleido Finn, which provides intuitive and tailored financial solutions delivered by an easy to use mobile app. And the winner of the F3 prize is Kaleido Finn, with over 90% of their customers being women and the innovative approach to developing products for women. They took the big prize on the night. So this event was part of the FT and IFC's impact awards which was really really inspiring there were so many nominees across so many sectors from energy education health and it was it was really really inspiring to see such great work being done so that's the news for this week in the next section we're going to talk about some insights Jenny recently completed a project in the DRC and is going to share with us some of the learnings from the market. So Jenny, what, what is the DRC mobile money market context? Yeah, so the market context for mobile money in the, D, in the DRC and actually, well, we did a study which was wider than just mobile money. So it also includes all of the digital financial services in the market. So what you saw really was the launch of a few mobile money services in 2012 because of some changes to regulation, which allowed mobile operators to offer e-money services. So you saw Vodacom launch in PESA, you saw Airtel launch Airtel Money, and at the time it was Tigo who launched Tigo Cash. Um, a little later on, um, 
Orange actually took over Tigo. So the three players that you now have in the market are Vodacom, Orange and Airtel. So to complement the mobile money services in the market, you had Finca, which is actually a global MFI. They launched their agency banking service in the market also in 2012. And then later down the line, you had a few banks that also launched agency banking services coupled sometimes with a mobile application to be able to utilize those services. However, a lot of them still remain more traditional kind of over-the-counter agency banking services. So you have Equity Bank um, and Trust Merchant Bank are the two big ones. And then very recently, Raw Bank launched a mobile application. However, it's more of a high-end service. Great. That's a really good overview. Uh, who did you work with on this project? Yeah, so I was working alongside the Microsave team. So the so Microsave recently launched an office out of Senegal, actually. And so I was working with a lot of the talented team there. In terms of who we were working with in terms of players in the market, well, we were working alongside Vodacom, Orange, Airtel, Equity Bank and Finca, which is the MFI that I mentioned, to be able to get information from those institutions, you know, conducting in-depth interviews with them and having their permission to go out and to conduct in-depth interviews with mobile money agents in the field across eight different regions of the DRC. And what was the objective of the study? So this was the Agent Network Accelerator Research for the DRC. And some of you in the fintech space may be more familiar with these reports. So Microsave have actually conducted 14 of these studies across 14 different markets. And the objective is always to kind of measure the health of the agent network in the market across DFS, so across mobile money and agency banking and other um, types of DFS services. So yeah, that was our objective in the DRC. And due to the size of the market, we weren't able to conduct a quantitative study. So some of the other 14 studies that I mentioned are quantitative, but in the DRC, we decided to take a qualitative approach to really try and go in depth with a few agents to try and understand what was happening in the market. And what were the most interesting findings? Yeah, so for me, I think the fact that the market is so informal um, was a real surprise. So you have most of the transactions that are happening are over-the-counter transactions. So despite the fact that, you know, the mobile operators have a mobile money menu that customers can use in order to conduct transactions. And of course, they've got a mobile money menu, which agents can use to conduct transactions for on behalf of customers. Actually, a lot of what's happening is not digital in any way. A lot of what's happening is, you know, agent to agent transactions as a form of over the counter. You've, you've just got so much informality and so much OTC that really there's very little happening outside of cash in and cash out or what looks like cash in and cash out because you're essentially doing an OTC transaction. That's fascinating. I know each market in Africa is different and it's amazing how customers find innovative ways to not pay fees. You have to hand it to them. Perhaps the answer is in free transactions to consumers and, and making revenue from businesses. 
you know, something that I I have a, been believing in for the last four or five years is the way forward because taxing these poor customers just really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And Somaliland ZAD show, are showing the way because 10 years ago, they launched free transactions and they have four times more transactions per user than Safaricom M-Pesa. And actually, it's interesting because one of the players in the DRC a few months ago now actually decided to zero rate P2P transactions in order to encourage their users to actually utilize the mobile handset and conduct a real, you know, P2P transaction. Um, and the reason that they did this was actually because they saw a lot of agents who were sending each other funds from agent account to agent account. And of course, this was originally set up so to help agents with rebalancing. So it was supposed to be used by agents which were within a certain distance of each other, a reasonable distance from each other who could go and exchange, you know, cash for electronic money to help them rebalance amongst themselves in a small geographic area. Um, and what this provider actually saw is that this ability to send funds from one agent account to another one for free was actually kind of being abused by the agents who were sending each other money across regions which take you know days to travel across um so of course this wasn't anymore being used for rebalancing this was being used as a way to to be able to facilitate an over-the-counter p2p transaction for the customer and for the agent to be able to just essentially take a cash fee for that and of course this is huge this has a huge impact on the operator's bottom line um, because they're, you know, they're essentially losing money by, by performing or by allowing these transactions to happen. So, yeah, so actually free P2P was one of their strategies to try and iron out this behavior. But I think they've got quite a long way to go as a lot of this behavior has been allowed in the market for so long now. And it's really going to be challenging to change the customer's mindset, I think. I agree. It's, uh, it, because also just making P2P free isn't, you know, going to go that far. It has to be much more holistic. And, you know, it would be really interesting to see how Facebook Libra will impact the thinking of existing mobile money providers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. As we mentioned earlier, I do think at the moment that it's a lot of kind of PR and it's a lot of hype, but it, but it will be interesting to see how they make a play in Africa. My understanding is that they will definitely need to partner with financial institutions. And since mobile money providers across a lot of markets, you know, have more, more accounts, more customers than the banks do, well, I assume they'll be looking to, to the mobile operators as partners on this. Because as you said, they will, although it's a cryptocurrency and it's digital, you're still going to be able to need to load your Facebook account from some financial service. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Jenny. I really appreciate your time. Where can people find out more about you? I am on Twitter. My handle is at Jenny Friedrich. And I'm on Twitter as well, at Arunjay. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your support. Please do subscribe and share the love. Tell your friends and people who are interested in development about M3 Insider and look forward to talking to you next week. <laughs>